So this idea of memory, it's very interesting because when you enter a specific space, when you get to a specific location, it's this idea that the house should bring you back this long-term memory, giving them this feeling of comfort and of confidence as well because they've known this place for a long time. Hello there. If you find yourself looking for a slower way of life, of travels, of connecting to the people and the places around you, you're in good company. Join me, Molly Reese, for season five of our series, a season of stories shared by budding hospitality hosts, bringing a fresh perspective to their spaces and cherished caretakers whose local roots run deep in their renewed sense of places. This is Staying Good Company. Today, we're in great company with Joao Rodriguez, founder and owner of Silent Living, a lifestyle of happiness and fulfillment that he pursues through a curated collection of stays around Portugal. What began as family residences, gathering places for friends, family, and travelers, he has opened for global guests to stay and experience this memory of happiness, connection to the land, and genuine Portuguese hospitality. Joao, welcome to the show. Happy to have you in our company. Hello, good morning, Molly. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. We're so excited to have you here and to learn more about your story and the beautiful spaces that you have curated. So before we get to know your five houses, your fifth generation farm and fine dining restaurant, we of course do want to get to know you first. And so can you tell us a bit about yourself, your upbringing as the fifth generation to steward your family farm and any of your personal passions that you'd like to share more about? Certainly. So to characterize you a little bit who I am, I was born in, in Lisbon. I have a brother and a sister. I'm a, the middle a child. So we always lived very close, grown up with our family. So we still all very close to each other and we get on very well. And I think that was probably what defines me more as a person. So it's this family intimacy and also the being able to gather a few friends to that extended family as well. So I'm very person-oriented. I would characterize myself probably 60% emotional and 40% rational. So I do have a very, very strong emotional part of that I get very passionate about things. I get very enthusiastic about things. I dream a lot about all of these things. And so that's, that's mainly Joao, and that's the base of everything. I, I studied initially in a German school here in Lisbon, because this was after the revolution. So I was born in 73, so the years after the revolution, everything was very complicated here in Portugal. And so my parents decided to put me in this German school, where I actually learned to speak German, where I got lots of other friends as well, and I'm still fluent in German. And later on, I then went into university to study business and management. But I always had this passion about aviation. My father had been a captain in TAP for 36 years. And so I grew up with this passion for aircrafts, for flying, for cruising the world and finding different places, different communities, different ways of living, different cultures, different foods, all of that. I now have five children, so they are spread from the ages from 20 until the youngest one is at the moment four years old. So it's three boys and two girls. So I'm very family connected and I 
it's probably my priority in my life is it's to look after my children and to basically give them and leave them a good example. So it's a happy marriage with all difficulties that obviously people have and family have. But that's what basically characterizes well. So I've also joined to tap the national carrier when I was 23. So I did my training initially in, in Prestwick in, in Scotland, where I learned to fly and where I basically got my wings as well. And through that and living the passion of aviation, I'm still very, very passionate about my job. I love what I do. I love traveling. I have lots of friends all over the, the planet, especially to destinations where we fly to. And so it's not only the traveling itself, but it's actually also the flying in this very, very strong and very thin connection between the man and the machine. And I love that. And I love to feel the aircraft almost as an extension of my body when I'm flying. And so crossing the skies and, and flying means very thin layers of, of air is for me a passion. So things like the, the horizon, things like the universe, the stars, all of that, it's extremely beautiful. It certainly sounds like it. And you're speaking to myself, an audience of travelers who, whether in the air or, like I said, along your journey. And I think those travel opportunities just give us so much perspective on where we come from, where we return to. And so for you to have had that experience and continue to have that experience, seeing the world from different vantage points, then is going to speak a lot to what you've created in Silent Living. And so I'm curious, in your upbringing, what lessons did you personally learn from your parents, from your family, and values that you've instilled in how you've raised your own family and gone on to create Silent Living? So my, my mother is from, from the area of Lisbon, and my father is from the center of Portugal. And the Portuguese people are people that are extremely welcoming to other people and to, to foreigners from all over the world. So since we were a country of looking and experiencing and traveling a lot from the discoveries, I think we were always very open to different religions, to different communities, to different people, different races as well. And I think because my father was from the North, people from the North are extremely welcoming as well in our family houses. We always had lots of friends staying over. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, I was always taught in my family was that we generally always give the best that we have to whoever visits us and, and who are our friends. And I want to tell you this story because it's very important. It's very special to how we welcome people in Portugal. When someone comes to your house for the first time, people in Portugal have this habit of showing them around the house and like even showing them the rooms, the closets, the bathrooms, here's the balcony. So you get a guided tour to all the house because it's the idea that whoever is arriving, you want to make them feel at home and you want to make them feel happy. So they are almost invited to go and open your drawers and see what how you organize your things. So and that's part of who I am as well and how I look after people. And nowadays, we do that in silent living houses. So whenever someone comes to stay a few days with us, what we do is we actually show them around the house. And as we go bypass, for example, the kitchen, and there is 
for example, Renato in the kitchen or Tiago, and we always say, oh, so this is one of the members of our family almost. And uh, so Renato is the chef, so he will look after your breakfast. Uh, are there any things that you prefer, that you dislike? And by doing this, and also visiting the people who are doing the housekeeping and who could maybe be preparing the sheets of your bed or whatever. So we actually do this tour around the house, showing them everyone and making them feel at home. So, and this is not something that obviously we started doing now. This is something that the Portuguese people always did. That's such a little detail for you, but it means so much to your point of just feeling welcomed and invited into your home and that you can learn different things about perhaps different features of the house or different decorations as you walk through. You can meet the other people that will be with you along your stay there and Again, I think it's just such a warmer welcome than someone giving you a room key and saying the elevator is around the corner and to the left. <laughs> so yes. I definitely appreciate that attention to detail and that storytelling there. What inspired you? Of course, you've got this farm within your family. What inspired you to give that a different meaning and to transform these homes into the inviting spaces that would become silent living? It was very interesting because a few years ago, I was telling one of my aunts, she's now almost 90 years old. I was telling her a little bit about the houses and how we welcome our guests. And she just told me, oh, that story reminds so much of, of my mother, so of your great-grandmother. And, and I inquired why. She was someone that would gather all the family. She was always creating these lunches and dinners to have everyone together. And she was telling me about uh, the story as well after one of the world wars. So there was a lot of poverty inside her house. So the ground floor was open to people that were passing by the village or that were in need. And they would always be able to stay for a couple of days, get some food and rest as well. But apart from that, uh, she would spend all her days with another two ladies that would work for them as well, preparing food for people who were in need. And after the sunset, because the poverty at that time was very hidden, especially in smaller villages, they would go and deliver this food to the home of several people. And so when I was telling her about the story of our houses, she said, oh, it reminds me so much of my mother and the intention that she had of looking after others and of welcoming them and treating them, that this conversation with her really gave me the past story of what this seed was about. And so this was a very interesting and revealing moment for me. Then why did we start Project of the Houses? So initially it was accidentally. So I did this weekend house in Comporta called Casas na Areia. We're talking back in 2008, which was because I had just sold the company that I had, which was doing business incubation at that time. And I thought that I would have to give something back to my children, to my family, a place where we could all spend some time together and, uh, and where we could basically also invite some close friends and, and the rest of my family, brothers, sisters, nephews, and all of that. And we did use the house a lot in the beginning, but then the house was chosen to represent Portugal at the Venice Biennale of Architecture. And it made, I don't know, 10 covers of magazines around the world, and suddenly we weren't using the house that much because obviously children had lots of activities during weekends and we started to rent a house for people that basically also had the same vision. Because when I do things, I like to do them right 
and I plan things a lot. So we only build with local materials. We always pack the local plants, local environment, the tradition of each of these places of how to do things. We always try to only serve local products in each of these houses because this should speak a truth about a specific location. So the house should be an extension of whatever the nature expresses itself in that specific area. So we shouldn't have the same service, the same products, the same building materials, the same concept of house, if it's either in, in the area of Comporta, or if it's in Lisbon, or if it's in Montemor, or if it's up in the north. So all of them should speak about a reality, about the truth of what was the past history. When I'm talking about the past history, I'm probably including one to 200 years of how people used to live in that area. And that area, especially in Comporta, was mainly an area of fishermen, people that came from the south of Portugal, from the Algarve, and that started to do some agriculture in that area, mainly rice and other crops as well, and they would fish. They were very poor at that time, and they would use uh, some of the local materials which were available to build their houses, like the straws, the thatched roofs, the woods that they would find generally on the coast. They would dry them and then they would use them to build these uh, cabanas, these houses. And that was my intention was, well, we've, why would, should we do a, a weekend house that looks exactly like our house in Lisbon? No, it should have a different feeling and it should talk about uh, truths of a specific location. And so that's what also characterizes all the other houses. So one of them, it's how do you live in the second dune of some sand dunes around the area of Comporta? mainly overlooking the coast. And uh, then after that project, we had Cabanas no Rio, which was this fisherman, a guy that I generally used to go fishing with called Miguel. He would knock on my window like two or three o'clock in the morning. Hey, Joan, do you want to come fishing with me? I would go fishing with him. We would put the nets. We would chat for a couple of hours and we would then come back. And one day, unfortunately, he got ill and he said, Joan, you're the only person who I really trust to look after my cabins, and I know you will give them a, a sense. And so that's why I did the second project of, of Cabanas no Rio, so, which are these cabins on the water of the River Sado, and uh, which I made all of reused woods, so rebuilt them. Initially, I wasn't quite sure of what to do there, and so we would spend afternoons there with our children. We took a collection of books and some nice chairs, and one day one of my daughters asked me, oh, that couldn't we spend here the night? I said, we don't have any conditions to spend here the night. We don't have a bathroom. We don't have a bed. How can we spend here the night? Oh, because it's so, so nice here with all the sunset and the water and the tides and all of this. And, and I remember driving back to Lisbon on that evening. We would all fall asleep in the car. I was driving and I was thinking about this, this idea of how could we make this dream possible. And so we sat down with the architect, with Manuel again. And we tried to figure out how could we make this dream possible to spend the night there. So we transformed these two pre-existing cabins in one more project, this time, Cabanas no Rio. That's so neat to hear that you had these ties 
not only multi-generational to these places, but then you personally got to know the locals, the community, the history, and that's what's inspired and progressed throughout each of the stays that you have created and then offered to guests. And I think it's such an authentic way to experience the different regions and the different personalities and cultures within Portugal alone. And so as you package them all together into silent living, what does that saying, that name mean to you personally and the feelings and the memories that you hope that guests take away? That's an excellent question, Molly. Let me tell you a little bit about that story. So as I told you, I had a company that I sold, which was called Quotidian. And it was a, basically a company that was doing people-centered innovation and where we looked a lot and we worked a lot around anthropology and sociology. And so looking at how people use a certain service or a certain product, and by looking at how they use it, we would find out their needs and or future needs, and we would then come up with some insights to basically find out new products or new services or even improve the services that they were doing. And this gave me a background to be able to look at how people's behaviors. So what we did when we certainly, because all of this started organically, as I was telling you, so Casas Narei was the first project. Then we did Cabanas no Rio, and then suddenly we did Casa no Tempo, the one in the farm. Then we decided, because our guests were always asking us, oh, João, where can we stay in Lisbon? At that time, I didn't really know of a beautiful project that I loved in Lisbon, so we started to look for this property, Santa Clara, here. And so all of this started organically. So the, actually the silent living name only came, and the brand only came after the project in Lisbon. It was a journey that knew we started. We would never know when it will end. And so suddenly I sat down with my team and I, I don't know, we had probably three or four different websites, three or four different brands. And it was getting very confusing to people We weren't being able to cross sell between the properties. So people didn't really understand the meaning. Although obviously the concept was always the same. So trying to show how people live in a specific location in a specific area. And so characterizing that as best as we can. And obviously people started to give their and suggest names about what could be this brand. And I told them, look, I think um, the best people to actually tell us what we are, it's our guests, the guests that stay with us. Oh, sure, but how, how are we going to find out a name about our brand through our guests? And I said, well, what about if we start collecting the words that people say whenever they visit the houses for the first time. So basically we trained our team to collect words without asking them anything whenever they actually got to the house and when they entered a specific space. And so people would start to say, oh, there's a sense of family, there's a sense of home, there is the simplicity of the architecture, there is a, a materiality, Uh, there is this sense of protection. People would mention very, very often the silence. Oh, because here it's not only has to do with the noise itself, but uh, all the rest, like the interiors and all of that. So people used to say and the, the word silent uh, quite often. And so we collected these names for eight months in all the houses. 
And once we had all those names together, we got a very, very big wall in our office downstairs. And so we collected these little post-its with the words that people used to say, and we started gathering them, obviously, and doing some clusters. And that's how we basically came to not only our name, Silent Living, because this was one of the words that was very often said, the silence, but all the other ingredients that are part of uh, the Silent Living recipe. So home, the, the sense of family, the nature, uh, so all of, all of these things, simplicity, materiality, so all of these things that we basically look at it like almost a food recipe in which some of them are ingredients and there is a main word that defines the recipe, which is the silent living. And it's in our website from silent living and it tells a little bit about our story. There is one that speaks a lot to my heart, which has to do with the memory. There was a couple of stories that really got my attention and made me understand that sometimes our guests and whoever stays with us are more ahead in the concept than we have ever thought the concept could reach. So this idea of memory, it's very interesting because when you enter a specific space, when you get to a specific location, it's this idea that the house should bring you back this long-term memory in which, for example, I don't know, maybe one of your parents have told you a story about this fisherman and these cabins on the water that you would go fishing and you come back and and suddenly when you get there, uh, we don't have this idea of creating a wow effect when people get there. That's not really important. So it should have a very, very natural and very normal way. And, and it should almost play with your long-term memory. Like, oh, there isn't really nothing special here because this has been part of my stories when I was a child. So, so it's this idea, giving them this feeling of comfort and of uh, confidence as well, because they've known this place for a long time. That's already magical for us. And so I always like to speak about this idea of memory, because I think it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. So that's why we respect a lot of the local materials, local craftsmanship, local way of architecture, of doing things, because it will basically be able to bring you back into this long-term memory. That's so neat. And how intentional you are with that, because there is that sense of returning to certain memories and your attention to all of the different details, all the different senses experienced throughout that stay that evoke those memories. But then beyond that, you're also creating a space for people to then have future memories as well. So I think there's that juxtaposition of returning to a place where you've feel familiar, you have these recollections, but then you're also there with the people that you love, with the friends that you love, and you're creating new memories to go on with you in the future, in your sense of place, and you're inviting them to have those future memories. So I love that you took the time and that the name and the concept grew organically, and that you didn't have to force it, but you listened to what your guests were already experiencing. And I think it's just so natural in the story that you now have today. This introduces another very interesting uh, thing, which has to do with nowadays we live very hectic lives. So most of the people, they are traveling too much, they are working too much, they have too many distractions in life. So 
our aim with these projects and with silent living and with our houses is also to ground people during their stay, make them live the moment. And it's through living this moment that they actually create these new memories that you're talking about. I have this story about this CEO of a very big German company. I don't know, this was probably 10 years ago. And he stayed at uh, Casa Genareia, the, so the, the house with the sand floor. And uh, after his stay, he wrote me an email. And I was still working. It was midnight. I was still looking at my emails and I saw his email coming in. Let me see if there was any problem during their stays, so something that I can answer. Obviously, because we worry a lot about the feedbacks that our guests have after their stays, which is extremely important because it comes back into the process and helps us improve and nourish our concept. But this guy was telling me usual. Uh, it was uh, very interesting to stay at the, the Casa Genareia. Thank you very much for letting us stay. And, and by the way, it was a completely different holiday for me. And he then mentioned something like, and the sand on the floor made all the difference. And well, I quickly got back to his email and I answered his email saying, yes, well, the sand in the floor, it's not only a natural element, but it's also what does the connection between the inside of the house and the sand dunes outside. So it makes it all a huge space without defining where the inside and the outside finishes and starts. And he got back to me, I don't know, five minutes later saying, oh, I, I do understand you what you're saying, but for me it represents it something completely different. Well, I started getting very intriguing about this, and I, and I called him, and, and suddenly he said, oh, you know, Joao, I'm the CEO of a very, very big company. I'm generally very, very busy. So I always travel with my computer. I spend my days working even when I'm holidays. So I, I look at the living room. I defined the place where I was going to sit. I got one of these little tables that you have there. I sat down my, with my computer, and suddenly when I was uh, starting to write away, I needed a glass of water. So I crossed the living area, so over the sand, uh, to get the glass of water. So I picked up a glass of water. I came back, sat on the desk again started typing away and suddenly I thought that the music was too loud. So I crossed the living area to the other side and he says to me, and you know how hard it is to walk on the sand drum? And I said, yes, I do. I understand that. But uh, And he said, by walking on the sand, it slowed down my pace and it made me immediately on the first day go into a holiday rhythm. So I looked out, I saw my family and the kids playing around the pool outside, and I just felt stupid working along in the computer, and everyone was having a good time. So I said no. So for him, basically, the scent and this element of the scent helped him slow down and grounded him, which was extremely interesting for me. And so I, at that time, I understood that the way we conceive the spaces and the materials that we use that can also touch people's behaviors and how people live a certain space. And that's, that became very interesting for me. And so obviously I started giving more and more attention to materiality. Absolutely. Being present in the space and taking in all those details, whether you realize it like he did or not, you're really 
pausing to just experience all of those different elements and to have those feelings that, yes, you might intentionally be evoking, but that your guests just take away whether they know it or not. Let me just add this interesting point, which is obviously nowadays we are very inspired and we are very interested in trying to find out how we can make the experience for our guests as important as it was for this guest, okay? So how could we do that? And obviously we're all different from each other's, and so we are touched by different things as well. And so not only all our services have been conceived around that, how can a specific service ground that specific guest? So we try to work a lot around that and to actually tailor-made all the stays. But we have this project inside Silent Living, which is it's in my heart. It's called Rituals. I'm still trying to convince my team to work with it. We've did some tests here and there, and we have excellent results. But it's mainly that each house has its own routines. So routines are generally defined by a number of people that live in a space. And so we then looked into these routines and we transformed them into rituals of the houses. And so we try that our guests step in and that they also are part of these rituals that are happening in the houses. And a ritual could be, we have a set of rules. So these rituals can't cost any money. They have to be transportable, which means you could do them here or you could do them back at your home when you go back. And there shouldn't be an age for it. So a child with six years old or four years old should be able to do it. And the person with 80 or 80 years old or 90 or whatever should also be able to do it. And then based on these rules, we define, will these rituals fit in here or not? Okay. And through these rituals, we believe that we can ground people's uh, stay and we can make them live the moment. And this could be as simple as, for example, inviting them to do a walk outside and collect some small flowers and bring them and put these flowers on top of the table at breakfast before they sit down for breakfast. Obviously, this is something that anyone can do. There isn't a cost involved with it. And apart from your effort, obviously, and you can take it home with you. Or it could be as simple as looking at the stars before going to bed or having a nice bath once you come back home. So this should be moments of pause and rituals that help you to ground yourself. We've defined a little set of small cards that we hide in the rooms here or there, and that guests find, and it's basically a sentence that invites them to do a specific activity around this ritual. I love that you have coined it rituals. I find that I try to practice different rituals throughout my day, often a lot of them from my various travels. So whether it's doing a slow pour coffee in the morning instead of just pressing a button on a machine, or it's watering all of my plants as the sun is rising, or it's tending to my vegetable garden before making dinner. It's those little moments to your point of just being present with yourself, with your surroundings. And I love the fact that you've come up with these concepts that people can do within their own means. 
and that some might see as to your point routines or chores or things like that, but you've converted it into a ritual, into a moment of celebration, of pause, of reflection. I love that you've really coined it that way and have it as an opportunity for your guests to almost go on a little bit of an adventure with each of your different properties. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Do you know of places and people we can stay in good company with? Are you yourself a host looking to share your story and welcome in good company? We're always looking for new places to travel, new people to meet. Share who you know and where they are by sending us a note at stayinggoodcompany.com or by mentioning us on our social media channels at stayinggoodcompany. We'll be sure to give you a shout out when we're there. Now it's time for us all to take a trip to silent living as it stands today. And we've spoken a lot about the different homes and how your guests can experience them. But you also have this beautiful farm where you practice holistic management, regenerative agriculture, not only in providing products to your restaurant, but also in raising awareness of climate change and offering a different way of living in harmony with nature. And so can you share a little bit more about how this farm, how this way of living in nature is important to you, your family, and your local community? Certainly. Well, I've been working in the project of the farm for more than 10 years. We started doing some vegetables in the farm and growing our crops organically already for several years and also grazing our, our cattle in a specific way. But it was only when COVID came that I started to flying very little because airplanes were mostly stopped on the ground. So instead of doing a flight a week, I did during COVID period, I did a flight a month probably, which helped me a lot, not only to spend a little bit more time with my family, but uh, it helped me to focus on the project that I was developing in the farm. And so it gave me the opportunity to study a little bit about what were the biggest threats that the planet and that we as human beings were passing through and were facing. And it obviously came through climate change, food shortage, water shortage, desertification, carbon. So all of the problems that nowadays we face through climate change, because they're all connected. We tend to separate them a lot, but the more I study and the more I get to know about it, I, I understand that they are very connected to each other. So obviously in 400 hectares or 1,000 acres, we are not able to change the world. But what we are able to do is to find a project that could inspire everyone that comes and stays with us to change the world altogether and to basically copy ideas and do a project in the same, in the same spirit. So by doing this, I found out about a gentleman called Alan Savory in the US. He has this Savory Institute. He has this very interesting TED Talk that I definitely recommend people watch it because this guy has been studying desertification in the planet for more than 50 years. He's now 92 years old, so he's got an incredible experience about all of these problems and how to graze the cattle. I don't want to spoil the TED Talk, but uh, because I really want to, people to listen to it, because I think, it, for me, it was uh, 
just for me, completely just for me. So uh, he basically tells the story about how can we graze the cattle in a specific way to basically build soil and to regenerate our planet. And through that, which is basically by looking at the migration process of the animals in the big savannas in Africa, because they move all together in herds because they're afraid of the predators, they keep walking and they keep eating and moving. And so they naturally never stop. And then they will only come back to this specific plot probably a year after, which means that there is a moment of a very strong impact. And this is very short and then followed by a very long moment of rest, which is probably one year until they go back to that place. And through this, they understood that this would be the best way to regenerate the soil, because obviously through observation, he understood that by doing this, not only the soil has been able to retain more water, it gets a better vegetation through the photosynthesis, uh, retain the carbon in the soil, lower temperatures as well, send humidity to the atmosphere back, through the transpiration of the plants, so all of this. And on the other hand, gives lots of very good, nutritious food for the animals that are coming back. But obviously, we don't have uh, buffaloes, we don't have elephants in Alentejo, we don't have lions to serve as predators. So how could we do this? How could we now basically do this work with our cattle, with our cows and with our sheep and with our goats in the farm? So we basically, he said, oh, sure, it's very simple. We've obviously defined and we've designed how to do it, which is, so we have this electric wire, we have this solar, small, tiny little solar panel with a battery that you keep moving every day. And so by changing this every day, for example, you have your 150 cows today and 1.5 hectares, probably they're there only for 12 hours. Then they move to the next plot and we keep on moving the wire and moving this little solar panel every day. We obviously, they have to have fresh water in all of these places where we also have access to the water in all of this. But by doing this, we started working as well with another group called Climate Farmers, where they actually not only measure the impact that this is having on the soil, but they actually measure how many tons of carbon you retain in your soil per hectare or per acre per year, which obviously gives you a result that's done not only through the, te the agricultural techniques that you use, but also through observation of how the vegetation is improving. So we basically started that five years ago, four or five years ago, and we also planted an agroforestry inside our farm. It's one hectare, so 10,000 square meters of agroforestry where we studied this a sequence of seven trees. These are trees that live in symbiosis and protect each other. So because they have different heights, so one does a shade to the other, they have different roots, one captures the water in deeper than the other and protects the others as well. Ones are very uh, aromatic herbs, so they have this uh, really nice and interesting smell that attract lots of the bugs so that the bugs don't, don't go on the other fruits that we have and, and things like that. So an agroforest, what defines an agroforest is mainly how the planet used to be many years ago. So it was all a big forest. You would pass through the forest and you would be able to pick up fruits here and there. And so at the moment, we do all our vegetables there and that we serve not only at breakfast here in Santa Clara, 
that, that we also use for the fine dining restaurant that you mentioned, Saya. Saya is also telling a beautiful story about the work that we are doing at the farm. So not only we use all the products coming from the farm, I would say probably around, at the moment, 80% of the products that we use at dinners are coming from the farm. We are trying to be more and more closer to the 90 or 100%, but sometimes it's not hard, especially with the different seasons in Portland as well. And we also have this beautiful coast where we have lots of beautiful fish. Sometimes it's difficult to, to stay 100% fit to this. But this menu that we have now at Saya, it's called The Last Harvest. So it interprets what we are doing at the farm. And it starts with a dish about wheat, soy, and corn. And this dish is called desertification because these are obviously the crops that are creating one of the most problems of desertification in our planet. We then serve a second dish, which is called photosynths, uh, where we speak about the seaweed, the chowder, and some nice sauces as well, like mushi. And it mainly explains that uh, photosynths is not only done by the plants that we have on the soil, but it's also done under the water, through the seeds. Then we have another very interesting dish, which is called carbon. It's a beautiful dish that also explains the importance of retaining carbon in the soil. And then we go on to another dish called water, another one called bacteria, another one called livestock, and the importance that the livestock has to recover all our soil and regenerate our soil. We then have the desserts, which are mainly a dish called symbiosis, and the interesting how relevant it is for plants to be together with each other. And finally, we speak about regeneration. So we always like this idea of presenting the problem, show the problem, and then show that generally there's a solution for it. And so we then, this menu also has a little seed that people can take with them with some instructions of how to plant this little seed and the importance that that each of us, if we have a little plant at home, all of that will be very important for changing the planet and, uh, and improving uh, for future generations this climate change. Absolutely. You give them that little ritual to take home with them. The menu that you've created not only tastes great, but is a conversation, is a dialogue about the food on your plate, where it comes from, the importance of the ecosystem that you are trying to steward and to really allow to thrive and then how guests can experience it, not only there in, in Portugal, but then how they can take some of those practices with them in their own travels back home. And to your point earlier, yes, it might be a small piece in Portugal right now, but you're speaking to a global audience of people who can then take that away with them and make their own impact in their own spaces, whether that is, you know, in different landscapes and different environments, there's different applications. It's a nice creative challenge and a community that you're building for people to go and to do that elsewhere. So I hope to be able to visit one day and to be able to take those learnings and then apply it wherever we find ourselves next. 
let me just tell you a little bit more about the project in the farm. So I want to open up here with you. It's the first time that we are doing it, but I think it's the moment to, that, that we can start sharing a little bit more about the project in the farm. So it obviously starts with this idea of recovering the planet and how can we do it and to inspire other people that visit us. But obviously we will need capacity because at the moment we only have one house, which is Casa Nutemp, which was this house that has been in my family for several generations, and that we basically steward the soils and the farm. But uh, it would be the idea, because we had lots of, uh, some of our guests asked me, oh, João, can you help me? I would love to have a house in Portugal. Can you help me to look after a plot and build a house and find an architect and the materials and defining the project? And I said, well, that's so time-consuming, it's so difficult. And I, although I would love to help people, I, I, I didn't really have the capacity to do it in these last few years. So when I started thinking about this project in the farm, because it's a very big plot, obviously I thought that we could join this intention of developing the farm, being able to show it and to share it with more people, so having more people staying with us but at the same time also answering this request from our guests to help them find a house. And this would actually be much more than helping them find a house. This would be trying to find a concept in which they would identify themselves of a new way of living with the planet and a new concept as well. And so we've, we've not only are at the moment working on the, all the infrastructures that, that are required, we already have our permits from both the tourism office and, and the municipality. We are building another nine houses in some beautiful settings and beautiful spots in the farm that we are selling basically to these, to these families who are interested in having a house here in Silent Living and in the farm. And that houses, obviously, people will use whenever they, they are there. Whenever they're not there, they will give the houses back to Silent Living. We'll rent them out so that people can have a also a return on their investment. And so it's the idea of defining a very intimate relationship between man and nature and animals. So it's how can we live in a perfect world? And so we have our, we will have, we're building at the moment a small village inside the farm where a lot of these um, activities that used to happen inside these big farms many years ago because they were autosufficient where basically there was a bakery where they would bake their bread every day, where there was a cheesery, they would do the cheese, where there was this fire to smoke the, the, the meats, uh, where the vegetables were done. So where all of these preserved things and all of this, so where there will be a restaurant, where there will be a small wellness center as well. So basically finding also some activities to ground people and to make them feel welcomed. Well, it certainly sounds like a place I would love to live. So thank you for sharing that with me first. That's so special that you've recognized, again, you've taken this moment to listen to your guests, to your community and to the land in wanting to build upon it in a way that's very mindful, very intentional about bringing like-minded people together to learn and to interact with the land. And so I think that's such a beautiful community that you're creating. And again, it's taking lessons. It's going back multiple generations, how these villages used to come about. And I think that now we've become in recent generations void of that, but longing for it and for that return. So I'm so excited to see 
how that transpires and how that community builds. So thank you for sharing that sneak peek. And I was going to ask how Silent Living lives on for your family, for your future guests. And so is there anything else that you'd like to share, whether at the farm or for your other homes or your restaurant and how you see that in the future? Well, there's one thing that we didn't really cover here, which was last year, we brought this new project inside Silent Living, which is called Santa Fe. It's a boat that was given to, to scrap, so it was finished. It had done its work, so it was well, from the 80s, early 80s. And, and we thought that we could recover it and we could look after it because it had some really beautiful lines and a really nice patina. It took me a while, took me almost a year and a bit to get it back up and running and everything working again. But it's a beautiful yacht that we use now to do some cruises around here, the River Tagus, and also to bring people to spend the day in Cascais and bring them back as well. So it's, it's some activities that we also hear doing Lisbon. But uh, as you asked me, looking at the future of silent living and how this would represent to my family, I, to be honest, I don't have an answer for that. It is a very difficult question. I have been thinking a lot about it. Obviously, I have this dream that my children would also have this passion and look after this project for future generations and keep on sharing it. But I'm not sure what's going to happen. I hope to never grow too much. So we have this intention of staying small so we could do more projects, but also always with a limited size. So we don't have this ambition of growing too much or turning this into a huge brand. So this should speak about each of the houses and about each of the local ways of living and should try and touch people's lives during their stays. So that's where we are aiming for. And that's what I want to do. I'm very curious as, as well myself of where will this take us on. So I sense a trend in that you enjoy the journey. You don't have this big plan that you need to follow. You listen to what's around you and you do what feels organic and what you're passionate about. And I think that really comes through in the success that you've seen to date. And I'm just so excited to see where that does take you next, knowing that it'll be full of intention and mindfulness in, in the community that you're building. I think so. Thank you for transforming that in such a beautiful <laughs> words and expression. Of course. <laughs> for myself, it's, a, it's obviously a huge doubt that I have. I want to spend my days looking after this project. This is what I do, as you just mentioned, as a passion. I'm very committed to it, especially for the, for the stays of our guests and how this can touch their lives and the stories that they can tell after they've been with us here to a different friend and how can that influence their friends in their lives as well? So it's all about this. It's about people. It's a business focused in people with people. So, Well, and we can hear that passion come through in how you share your story. So that's the beauty of these conversations that we have. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Are you too planning your upcoming travels and in search of independently owned and operated stays and experiences to visit along the way? Head on over to stayinggoodcompany.com or our social media channels at Stay in Good Company and drop us a note with where you're going and when, and we'll be sure to set you up in good company for your trip. 
Just don't be surprised if we hide away in your suitcase and join you in your journeys. So now that we know what it's like to stay in good company at Silent Living, we've learned and grown in good company with you, Joao. And thus, I have a few final questions, what I like to call a toast to table topics. What is your favorite family recipe you learned from the generations before you? So here in Portugal, we have this tradition of having a soup before the main dish. And if you ask me, when I was a child, I never really loved soup. And I was always fighting with the soup, as that's what my parents always tell me. But nowadays, I love to have a, a dish of soup before, the, before my meal. Well, especially with all of the travels that you do, I'm sure there's moments where you're halfway across the world and craving that soup. So I love that sense of home is there for you. Now, what would be your go-to Portuguese wine and food pairing? Portuguese wine and food pairing. So probably I would choose the area of Down, which is an area of the center of Portugal because the wines have lots of beautiful acidity. They're very mineral. They're very light. And this is our house wines here in Silent Living are made in the area of Down. So that's definitely a place that I would recommend people to explore. Food-wise, there's a local restaurant that I love called the Horta de Brunge. It is owned by a small family. And they have this very hot food done, done by his wife. And it's beautiful. I think this has a very, very nice sense of food. Sounds wonderful. Now, if you personally could only source your food one way, would you choose to forage, fish, hunt, or garden? I would garden, mm. definitely. Likewise. Now, where is your favorite spot to sneak away to on your farm or in one of your homes? Oh, it's definitely the farm. Yes, because uh, not only when I'm involved in a new project and I focus a lot in it and I live this passion about the what next to do, not only about that, but also it's concerned with some beautiful and different variety of vegetation and of landscapes that we have in the farm. So we have these huge granitic rocks, but we also have these big lakes, we have small rivers. So it's very, very nice. And the vegetation is incredible. And as I grow older, I think I'm more and more touched through nature. Mm. And just getting lost there. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, this question is very timely, and I didn't even realize we'd be talking about rituals, but what is your favorite wellness ritual or routine that you practice yourself? One of the things which is, for me, extremely important is to have a good walk in the morning. So I generally start my day with an outdoor walk because... It helps me a lot because I fly to different places around the world. And it's, for me, a very important way to start today. So it's to do a, an outside walk. I hate gyms. So I hate doing all these activities with gyms and with exercising too much. I love to play tennis. And I have other sports that I love, like water skiing and skiing in the snow as well. But I love hiking and I love... Uh... The sense of fresh air. Yes. Yes, it is. That's wonderful. Now, last question. Do you have a favorite family tradition, whether or not they're shared with guests? It's to gather the family. So to spend time with my parents, my brothers and sisters, my children. So it's to have them all together. Because when since I travel a lot, and I'm out generally once a week on one of these long-haul flights, either to Brazil, to Africa, or to the States, what I most like is to be at home and to gather the family. And I would say this is my favorite ritual, definitely. 
sit around the table, have a nice meal, have some nice chats, get more intimate to the people that I love and get closer to them. That's all about Joel. <laughs> the more we all travel, the more we all crave that. I completely agree. All right. And to not overstay our welcome, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking if our listeners haven't already done so during the episode, where can they go to book a stay, an experience, or an event at one of your silent living houses? Okay. So probably the best way would go to our website where you have most of the information. So it's um, silentliving.pt, but uh, you can also visit our Instagram page, which is silentliving. Uh, we have another two Instagrams, one for the farm, which is called Erdad no Tempo. And we have another Instagram for the restaurant, which is called Saya Table. I think for us, it's extremely important to be in touch with our guests right from the beginning so that we try to understand how they travel as a family, what are their passions, what are the things they love to do, what are the more important things during their stay. And we try to basically tailor made them all of that experience to make it special for them well and that's how we love to travel and that's how we look to book our travels so certainly from a guest perspective we appreciate that want to build the relationship right away so i will be sure to link to your website and your social media channels so that all of our listeners can learn more obrigada for joining us Joao, and for welcoming us into your home away from home Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here with you and to share these ideas. Absolutely. Saude. Thank you for listening along. I hope you found yourself to be in good company. I know I did. Be sure to rate and review, invite your friends along, and find out more ways to stay in good company in the show notes below. Until next time, remember to slow down and to savor the company you're in. Cheers, my friends. <laughs>